is Janine Preston from Anytime, Anywhere, and today with me in the studio I have Nani De Freitas, and we're going to be talking about tourism and travel, and domestic particularly, in South Africa. Hi, Janine. How are you? Good and you? I'm good, thank you. So tell me a little bit about, I think this is the start of a series ah. of how we're going to recover from, especially yes. travel and tourism, is going to recover from the pandemic. Tell me a little bit about yourself and, and where you come from. I am a Member of Parliament, and I'm the Shadow Minister of Tourism. I took over that portfolio at the beginning of this parliament, the sixth parliament, which started in May uh, last year. Wow, what a time to take over. Well, not last, uh, 2019, I beg your pardon, 2019, okay. before the pandemic. And um, it's very different from any other portfolio I'd taken. I was quite excited about it. And I very quickly started educating myself and reading up all sorts of things about tourism because people don't realize how, well, I certainly didn't, didn't realize how intricate and detailed and what a, a huge value chain uh, tourism actually is and what economic driver it is and how powerful it is. And uh, then, of course, the pandemic hit, and in mid-March last year, suddenly we, everything was closed down. And I'm, I presume you would agree with me that tourism and the tourism sector has never been on anybody's lips as much as it has been in the last year, but not for the good reasons, because of how it's been decimated for a variety of reasons, because of uh, COVID and how the, you know we had to lock down. And the first sector to suffer was tourism. Absolutely, and the entertainment industry. And, and the two are so linked, because so Everything. many of the entertainment guys were on the boats. And Tell me a little bit about tourism before the pandemic. That's so the value chain it. I'm talking about. It's, it's, uh, you know, people don't realize how important music and entertainment and uh, you know, everything that goes with it, and cruise ships and all sorts of things. Um, adventure tourism, people don't realize. You know? And so, so it, has, it has this huge impact. And so when lockdown happened, Happened. Most of us, I certainly presume that lockdown would be about four weeks. We didn't realize how, what an impact and how long this would be. And you would remember initially when the president announced it, I think people were quite accepting, you know, we have to lock down. And the reason is because we want to make sure we have capacity in our hospitals, that if this pandemic does hit and people require hospitals, that our hospitals will be full and there'd be capacity, added capacity would have been put in place. That was a theory. And so, long story short, it's been going on. We're now at day 333 wow. of this recording. So, basically, you're talking about a year going down the line. And by far, it was, it's been really worrying. And so, what I'd started doing, I saw how from literally one day to another, everything shut down. So, huge, even huge, uh, you know, multi-national... Multi, uh, Hotels, for example, um, suddenly literally closed from one day to another. Suddenly the next day, no guests. Uh, there were hotels, I can tell you of, where, who've never had their doors closed. Their front doors have always been open. It was almost like a, a decoration than anything else. They had to physically close. And suddenly people had to be knocked off. Um, people lost their jobs. Businesses had to close down. And so what I did is through the various contacts I had created and developed and got to know in the preceding months, I ran a few surveys to extrapolate as how bad is this going to be and what must we tell government to do so that we don't completely decimate and destroy tourism. And so we ran a uh, f five different surveys, one focusing on specific, you know, well, they were all focused in different areas, but they f focus on particular areas, uh, geographic areas, so that we can extrapolate from it. And long and short of it, without going into the detail, is that if the lockdown will continue, that by the end of last year, most of the companies would have been completely locked, would have to 
close up shop. And by, I think it was October, most of those companies would have had to let most of their employees go. Um, and so it was very worrying. And so with the survey, with this information, I used that and asked Ramaphosa to please look at opening up, even if it is opening up gradually, um, understanding that we have to make sure that we couldn't completely open up the economy because of this pandemic. But what was the irony is that many aspects of the tourism sector are already designed for social distancing. They're already designed by the pandemic for the, by the very nature of what they are. So, for example, um, game ranging. For example, um, lodging. People who stay in lodges in the middle of nowhere in the bush. Those lodges are by design geographically far from each other. Um, so what I was appealing to the uh, corona whatever they call themselves, the Corona National Council, was to say in those instances, surely they already buy automatically the way they are, the social distancing, allow those different uh, sectors, subsectors to open up. Um, and let's start putting in measures that we can make sure that um, people are still safe, but yet can still travel, that we're not totally destroying these jobs. And um, But we had some successes and some, some not some successes. And uh, we were able to, for example, open or convince uh, government to open up our borders interprovincially so at least people could visit uh, and tour locally. And what's happened is many people are now appreciating because uh, those who would want to travel overseas or could afford it are now going to are now traveling locally. And so are sun, sun discovering that South Africa is a wonderful country to tour in and actually you could relatively spend a lot less money still having the wonderful experiences because tourism really is about experiences and so you can still and so people don't realize what a variety how huge our country is and because it's so huge we have a complete different variety you can go from the hot sunny desert uh, where there is just nothing and it's completely parched and dry to um, skiing like you do in the Alps or beach in like you are in, you know, any beach in the world. There's always that phrase, the bush to beach to, uh, what's it? Um, bush to, ber to berg to beach. Yes. That's always been used in South Africa because you can do all three in almost a day. Right. And, and you can, and you can, and it suits whatever type of tourist you are you can be accommodated in this country. So there have been a lot of negatives, yes, and it's a great worry for me. I get on a daily basis many people of various sectors in the, in the tourism sector who are saying we've, we've lost our, our job, we've had to let our people go. Um, what I've also discovered is that people in tourism are passionate people. Most of them have started their, these businesses because they are passionate about this. They're passionate about tourism. And a lot of them have put in their own money, their own personal money. Um, and so this is very difficult. It's real. real so what people. is the the process, and what is the way forward for those those people? It's um, well, it depending on what sector you're in. So uh, one of the one of the things that government did, for example, is they got a, a tourism fund going, and that the, real, the unfortunate problem is that there's only a limited amount of money. Correct. And once that money was gone, it 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 was gone. So it couldn't it, you couldn't assist there. The I must say the tourism guides association were quite successful. They met government, and government then made, I think it was 100 million rand available for tourist guides um, who could claim within certain circumstances. And so good on them, but again, ran out of money. And I've got literally thousands of, of tourist guides who've written to me saying, we've got 
you know, we, we're not being paid out. Um, and, uh, you know, the reality is there just isn't enough money to go around. And so what it's forced a lot of the people in the tourism sector to, to all the subsectors is to start being more imaginative, start thinking out of the box and start and reinventing and themselves. reinventing themselves. Exactly right. So, for example, if you're a tourist guide and you only traditionally have always done cultural tourism, which is the most popular and it's the one that um, – overseas tourists will seek. They will want usually cultural tourists. Um, those, a lot of those tourists, those tour guides are now going out and doing, uh, and, and doing uh, courses to become adventure tourists or becoming experts in particular geographic areas or whatever the case is. So they're spreading their scope so that they can have a wider audience. Okay. Um, and, so, and bed and breakfast are doing the same type of thing. So no longer are some bed and breakfast just bed and breakfast. Now some, a lot of them are serving uh, you know, uh, uh, meals, you know, where you can come in for a day, you can come in for a few hours. You can lay by their pool, for example, and not have to stay at the bed and breakfast. Okay. So, and, th- and there's nothing stopping you from doing it. Um, and, and it should be encouraged. So in many ways, it's as terrible as the pandemic is, it's forced a lot of people to have to go and think beyond how do we survive economically and have to, have to think of seeing what are the assets we've got and how do we then use it. And so a lot of, even the big hotels, a lot of them have repurposed uh, the, the way that they function and the way they do things. And probably a good time to look at going green and putting in solar power. One of our um, mm. clients uh, that we've spoken to recently, they put in a water filter so they can supply their clients yeah. with um, clean water, whether it's in a shower, a bath or drinking water. Yes. So it saves them and they're using a borehole. Yes. In the Western Cape, that's happened you know, a, a while back since the before the anticipated, much anticipated uh, day zero. But, um, you know, so a lot of in the sector, certainly the tourism sector and those subsectors in the Western Cape have been geared out for that for a while and I must tell you that even normal people, normal citizens in the Western Cape of which I spend a bit of time because Parliament is there, it's now a cultural thing you now just automatically save water and I do it when I'm in Joburg as well um, you're very conscious of water but also what you've realised is how much you're saving on your rates bill, suddenly you're paying almost nothing on water because the water isn't just used you allow it to get filtered into a bucket that then flushes your toilet Absolutely. Then goes into your, you know, wherever else. So it gets repurposed and reused. So these these pandemics can be uh, opportunities for us to repurpose our businesses and so forth. But it's not always that easy, and I'm, I'm recognizing it. So I'm not trying to paint a rosy picture all the time. Sometimes it is going to be very tough, and we have to see where we can assist. I think one of the things as well is how inventive people got during the pandemic. Yeah. We were in touch with um, a lodge in the in the Drakensberg, and what he did was he sold vouchers that you could use when the pandemic allowed you to travel. So as soon as his doors opened, the people who'd bought vouchers and supported him and his staff during the during the lockdown, and he put no restrictions on. There was no restriction about you can't use it during high season, low season. You can't use it all together. He had no restrictions. And he said people were very mindful when they booked to say, is it okay for me to book this weekend? Have you got enough paying customers this week so that I can use my voucher? You know, we're all in this together. This is the weird thing about a pandemic is that we're all in this. And so it's not a situation where only those people can relate. We're all in it. And and so your example, I, have, I, have, I know another example of of a, a game lodge in Pumalanga that has done similar things with their drives. Uh, although they were geared initially for overseas market, they've repurposed their, their lodge and they've also created vouchers for local people. And so before where people wouldn't have an opportunity because it's just simply unaffordable, they now can do so and they can do so safely 
uh, not just from the virus, but also from the animals. Uh, because you don't want to be like some Chinese tourist or any, <laughs> any other tourist will go and want to pet the lion, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the nicest things about um, the and, and, and I use the word nice in a, in a, in a yes. comfortable way, is that before, for instance, with the Kruger Park, there was a, a, a local tourism price and an international tourism price, and all of a sudden all the prices are the same. Yes. Well, I mean, that's, like we that's need a, as many people to come in here, whether you're local, international, <laughs> it really doesn't matter. Absolutely, and that is a bigger, I mean, that's um, it's a sidebar uh, story there. But I, I, I've been fighting, and I'd, I'd like to fight and certainly perhaps we can talk about it another time, is that we do have two uh, prices. Uh, and what I mean by that is, for example, if you, if you go to the – and I want to use Cape Town as an example because it's by far um, the city that has – or the province that has the most overseas tourists. Correct. And, of course, they come and they come with their dollars and their euros and they can't believe how cheap it is here because the exchange rate is so favorable in their favor. It certainly um, is. And so many restaurants, for example, will charge exorbitant prices for us, and yet the German tourist will say this is still a great price. And we're saying that's not fair. Why should, you know, surely as a local, if you can prove that you're a South African, um, there should be a separate price. And there are many countries who've done that, by the way. It's not unique. Um, there should be a South African price uh, that, that allows South Africans to come and still enjoy it at a at a more reasonable, more affordable right. rate Absolutely. for South Africans. But that that's a side discussion because it's uh, very controversial in some circles. Oh, really? Yeah. And what is government doing to help um, the, the 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 tourism that's coming out of? I, I see we're starting to travel in in between provinces. We yes. were away last weekend, uh, visited in Pumalanga, mm. but the roads were in such a terrible state. The potholes were were, were sort of really big holes. We were avoiding them. But the, when we went through Sabi, we noticed, and into Pilgrims, Pilgrims are certainly making a comeback. The, yes. the town is back to being a historical town. People are opening up, and it, it's not busy as it used to be. Mm. But nice to see Dahlstrom opening up. A lot of these stores were open. Um, obviously, people all trying to make a comeback. So it's kind of watching you guys talk hand-in-hand hand with the tourism industry. Yes. I mean, the thing is that, um, let me, I must tell you that what government, um, the national the provincial many of the provincial governments don't realize is that you don't just you just you know the sector doesn't just flourish on its own and pilgrim dress is a great example the reason why um i mean i was in pilgrim dress a, a while back and it was very really sad to see from what it was it was a real thriving live absolutely live little town. town yeah as if it was whatever it was 150 years ago um but that doesn't happen just out of the blue you've got to consciously make sure that that little town maintains its character by keeping it maintained the the, the streets are cleaned, that things are looked after so that you keep that look and keep that feel. And if you don't ensure that there's the maintenance and the capital in, uh, infrastructure pumped into that uh, particular area, in this case we talk about pilgrim risk, it starts becoming dilapidated, starts looking bad, it starts looking very sad and uninteresting and unattractive for tourists. And that's exactly what happened with Pilgrim's Rest. The provincial government didn't pump in the money, thought the Pilgrim's Rest would exist Anyway, because people are going anyway. The only reason people go is if it is attractive for them to go. If it becomes unattractive, they start go, stop going. And so that's what happened with Pilgrim's Rest. Luckily, uh, they, you know, Pumalanga, with some national money, started realizing how important this is. And it's hopefully been a lesson for them. That they won't allow that to go back to, 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 to the dilapidated Because suddenly all the hawkers, I remember we were there with the motorbike crowd. And because uh, we have a motorbike festival in, in Saabi once a year. Yes. Mm. 
And we noticed that they had put the hawkers with their uh, tents all in front of the iconic little houses and whatever. So yes. it became an and it became unbearable to walk in the street. Yes. And that's why we never went back. But when mm. we went back this time, they had put them into proper um, sort of almost historical type Correct. buildings. Correct. So you could um, you could safely walk in the street without – and I, I don't mean that we were unsafe. It's just we didn't want to be harassed. Yes. We uh, wanted to comfortably decide what we wanted to see and where we wanted to – What you're describing is exactly what I am so passionate about when it comes to tourism. Um, you know, it's very easy for the – Hiltons or the the big hotels to come in and you know construct a four hundred room hotel. It's very easy for them to do that, but it is incredibly difficult for a one person setup to find a person that will make them beads and some woodwork and whatever the case is, and they got to then sell this. And so, Correct. so this is where government needs to facilitate. And what you've described is you can't just allow in this case, hawkers, just to do what they like because they are well-meaning. They want to you know, earn a keep. But at the same time, you want to keep the character of a particular place. If it's pilgrim dress that we're describing, Correct, yeah, so you want, to keep the, you want to keep the look and you want to keep the feel. So what you recognize is that you've got these hawkers who are entrepreneurs. They're creating employment for themselves, which is exactly what should be encouraged. They should not be chased away. They should be facilitated. So, so you know, so as you say, little, uh, you know, old-fashioned-looking homes that are clean. We, you, you put in ablution facilities for these uh, traders and so forth. And suddenly, they're part of the whole vibe and the whole scenery, and it becomes attractive, and tourists are coming. And what are you doing? You're growing the economy. The local economy is growing. You're putting people employed, making them employed. Um, these entrepreneurs, we don't have a mentality in this country, unfortunately, about entrepreneurs. You often hear about, you know, I'll talk to people in townships and I'll say, what are you doing? I know I'm just selling fruit and vegetables, just selling fruit and vegetables, as if it's not a real job, as if it's not important. That is exactly what most economies in the world are. The backbone is That's based on subsistence. that. Those are, um, but they're, they're entrepreneurs. Whether you're selling something to eat or you're making something, in your garden or in your garage. Those entrepreneurs, those are very important. So we need to change the mentality, say that you're contributing to a very important part of the tourism value chain. And, and uh, you know, you've, you'll find that these successful um, hawkers that you're talking about suddenly have to employ more people to be able to sell their products, and suddenly they're employing other people. And so this is the second level of employment that starts happening. I remember once we were on a train uh, from Honeydew up into Zimbabwe and yeah. we stopped at a place where there was um, a traders selling really nicely sculpted, I think they call it soapstone. Okay. And um, one of the American tourists that were with us, they were going to buy something and I think the price of the product was probably 30 rand. And here she was haggling with them. Yeah. And she eventually haggled them down to 10 rand, I think. And when she walked back, I said, you know, there's some things you really need to think about. The 30 rand to you was a couple of dollars. To that guy, the 30 rand would have fed his family for a week. Now you are happy with yourself that you brought him down to 10 rand and he now can feed his family for a couple of days. Yeah. So I'm not sure how good you feel about yourself, but sometimes you need to look at what you're buying and mm. from whom you're buying before you go on this whole, um, let me see how I can negotiate you yes. down as far as I can. So I think it's also educating the incoming tourists as to say, look at the value of what you're bringing in, and we appreciate that. Yes. But try not to, and I don't know how this is going to get done. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in government, so no. I don't know. But it's, it's all an education thing. Is when, you, when you're haggling with somebody, give some thought as to the product that you're buying and the value attached yes, yes. to it before you go. I think, I think yeah, I mean, you're quite right about the education. I think, um, and that again, um, 
we need to perhaps formalize it and government needs to think about how they formalize and educate, uh, for example, tourist guides. Uh, and what I mean by that is, for example, you'll probably find the American you're describing probably has traveled a bit. And in, for example, in, uh, in Asian countries, it would be seen as insulting not to haggle and not to Correct. kind of fight for a price. Where in South Africa, it's a little different. So it's the education I'm talking about. So perhaps we need to tell our American tourists, um, you know, maybe don't haggle or just accept the price as it is because it's a different context here. It's not, it's, you're not expected to haggle here because already the prices are so cheap and so the currency is yeah. in your favor. Absolutely. So 30 rand would be, uh, you know, $2 maybe, you know, whatever exactly. it is. So, so again, it's um, it may be a different context because when you talk to an American tourist, they'll probably find that you were, he was expected to, to haggle when actually he's in the wrong country to do it. So it's just just something to to think it's about. Just it's one way or the other. Yeah. And I think now that we're coming out of a very tough time, even for them. Yes. Because at the end of the day, there hasn't even been local visitors to go and buy a soapstone product or exactly a necklace right. or a yeah. beaded product. So I I'm. I'm mindful of where they are right now because yes. they're in an even worse situation than most of us are. Very much, yeah. Um, but now that we're allowed to travel, it's been – it's when we started driving out to Mpumalanga on Friday, mm. it was – it was almost like you were reborn. Yes, absolutely. Because you're driving out Free. and there's this, <laughs> this beautiful landscape that you forgot how beautiful it was. And I think the pandemic brought that home when suddenly you couldn't travel. Yeah. yeah. You suddenly thought to yourself, where's my beautiful country? And, mm. and before you were kind of knocking things about the country or, you know, you, you kind of didn't think about it. But now that you're on that road and mm. you see that country again and you've seen the yes. mountains – and you think to yourself, I do live in the most amazing country. We really do. We really do. And the thing is that, um, you know, as I, as I say, I don't know. I mean, there are a few, but I think there you can literally probably count them in one hand, a country that has the diversity that we have and can cater for, you know, for whatever type of tourism you want. If you want to lie on the beach and tan and have pina coladas, you could do that. Or you can go shopping. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you, whatever it is, you can do it. And that's the great thing about South Africa. You can do that. We have amazing weather. Even our winters are very mild. You know, when we complain, when you, and I are wearing, <laughs> when you and I are wearing thick jerseys, I can tell you the Europeans are saying, this is spring for us. They will wear t-shirts. So, you know, we're, you know, we are completely spoiled and we really do have the most beautiful country. And, and it's always interesting to me that people who say, you know, this, this isn't a great country. And, you know, those, those that criticize the most. And they probably haven't traveled much. Well, they I know most haven't traveled. Haven't traveled. Because I know when I was in Greece, mm. for instance, uh, and we went to the beach, yes. the one thing that really, really got to me was the fact that I had to pay for a uh, a lounger yes. on the beach where I didn't want to pay for a lounger. I just wanted to put my own towel down. Yes. And and But but they took the, the loungers right into the water almost, that either you sat on the rocks at the back or you sat in the water <laughs> in the front because that was the penance that you paid for not paying them, I don't know, two or three euro, which in our money is a lot of money. Is a lot of sure. money. Yeah. But you come to this country, we don't have those concessionaires. Mm. You are free to go to the beach, put your towel wherever it doesn't intrude on someone else, put your umbrella up, or in some cases they put a tent up mm -hmm. um, to stop the wind. Yeah. But you're allowed to do that. There's no, there's no, there there's are no even beaches ownership. in South Africa that you can do that. You can rock up on the, on the, on the sand without, um, any lounges, and they will come and serve you cocktails right there. <laughs> Correct. Now, there are not many <laughs> beaches in the world that does that, 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 that you can do that to. So, absolutely, there's a, there's a wide variety. But, of course, we, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to spin the thing. We have, a, we have a lot of problems in South Africa. Of course we do. But then name me a country that doesn't. You know, it's all relative. All of us have got issues. And we need to, together, try and find a solution, try and get out of this pandemic, try and grow the, the economy 
And I'm saying what better way, what easier way to do it with minimal government intervention, because I believe in small government, not big government, because successful countries that have small governments are the successful ones, not the ones with big governments. So what I mean by that is get them out of your lives. You can do it yourself. So if a gogo in a township wants to um, you know, take the spare room that used to be their child's that now married and she's now, they've left the house and she's got this room that's available, why shouldn't she be able to? lease it out to a, to a tourist from overseas. And the trends and the research that's coming out, certainly before the pandemic, is that more and more people, and this is even people who can afford any type of tourist, uh, any type of accommodation, um, are interested in the experience more than the luxury, if you know what I mean. No, and I what they mean is they'd rather go and spend three or four days at someone's home in a township to experience what it's like to eat locally, be with locals, um, be in a local home, then, you know, even even though they could afford a five-star fancy hotel that has everything you could possibly want, um, you know, and, and that's the interesting, the, the, the trends, the tourism trends are changing so much. So but the, now if the, if the, if the pandemic is, is um, coming in, for instance, now we're in the middle kind of towards the end. Yes, I hope. We're so fortunate. <laughs> well, I look at where we are and where England is and I yes. think to myself how lucky we are in this country yes. to be almost back to normal. Um, to understand social distancing and everybody pointed at us and said, you guys are going to be in trouble. Mm. Well, we're not in trouble. They're in trouble. <laughs> when you come to this country, do you have to go into a um, hotel for two weeks or what is the that, situation? It is so it's- crazy, those kind of, uh, that kind of mentality. Um, and in fact, I must say it was one of our proposals and government has taken it on. You have to arrive on our shores with a COVID certificate. Um, and, and it's got to be 72 hours or less. And if you arrive with such a thing, that means that you're COVID-free. I mean, the chance of you being ill are very, very slim. And so you won't, you won't be required to, to um, quarantine. However, if you don't, you're going to be required to quarantine at your own cost. And so um, this is important information. And um, one of the questions I've asked the minister is, is she ensuring that this kind of information is communicated internationally so that when our uh, marketing agencies for the country um, are telling people about this, that they, you know, tourists are aware of this. And so that's, that's an important aspect. So people And is there a list of hotels available somewhere where you can see where are you allowed to do this? Um, yes. What do they call it? Um, well, self-quarantine. Self-quarantine. But, uh, but uh, not many people are doing that because um, they know they, they, if they arrive with a certificate, which makes eminent more sense, and you don't want to spend your, your time in quarantine. You want to be on holiday. Holiday. Um, and so, yeah, so you, you, you'd have a, you know, get your, your COVID test done, get the certificate just before you fly. And so that's what's happening. It's what tourists are doing. Yeah. But I think I also know that, um, for instance, a friend's daughter's having her baby in March and she wants to come from the UK. She said by the time she arrives here, she's seen her and she's gone back. The two weeks that she has to spend in quarantine on that side is a challenge for her, not only for the time, but also for the cost. Yes. So I think it doesn't make sense really for people to come here because when they go back, they have to spend two weeks in quarantine. Yes, but it's that, that's their silly laws. <laughs> So they should, they should, they should really. So I mean, how long do you think that's going to continue? Well, it depends on, you know, I mean, it depends on each individual, individual government. Country, These are sovereign, sovereign countries, but I mean, they should, they should make it, they should make it easy. It should be facilitated, whether you're coming in or leaving the country, 
to to handle this. And and I can't understand why you can't produce a properly certified COVID negative certificate. Certificate, yeah. Um, that's you know. Well, surely yeah. they wouldn't let you on the plane if you're not COVID. Well, this is this is this certified. is a thing. So certainly all the um, airlines are now uh, doing that. And I Qantas has now gone one further in that they're not allowing any passenger on their airline on the in the on the on the planes unless you've actually been vaccinated. So that's so that's uh, that's the next they're level. They're just putting themselves further and further back, aren't they? Yeah. Well, it's a little different because in Australia, their vaccine program rollout has been is quite advanced by now. So they probably can do that, but uh, they wouldn't. They'd find it very difficult for a South African who to go to Australia right now because we just don't. We're not at that level yet. So certainly, I'm saying get get the COVID certificates, uh, you know, done so that you can you're pretty much free to fly. In terms of the vaccine, is it something that they're going to, because I know they're currently rolling out in, in South Africa mm. and they're doing the healthcare and the frontline workers first. first yeah. um, do they see, for instance, the tourism sector being quite close to the next rollout? Um, they haven't got to that level yet, that kind of detail yet, um, because the first rollout is going to be frontline workers. So let's, let's see. I'm waiting to at, uh, the next round of, of vaccines when they come in you know, who, who are going to be getting it. Because I'm saying once you've done the frontline workers and the people that actually are exposed to this virus, the next should be those that are contributing to growing the economy. And then you'd have to Correct. define that. And I would say someone like, uh, you know, hotels and uh, tourists, anybody involved in the tourism industry and so forth, that are contributing to the economy, those should be the next round of people that should be vaccinated, certainly. And it's been quite interesting to see, for instance, the transport companies, they use their coaches to do repatriation flights. So, for instance, if you needed to go and do a repatriation flight, you would catch a coach from one of the hotels and they would transport you there yes. uh, rather than let everyone crowd the airport. Um, but obviously that's challenged people like porters and the, the, the retail stores within mm. the airports must surely be suffering. Um, yeah, look, I mean, they're opening up now. And I don't know how they're doing. Must be, must be honest, and that'll be an interesting question to ask. Uh, but um, yeah, they're they're opening up now, and it's starting to to grow. You know, to so grow. those 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 people should be benefiting soon. Um, and that um, it'll be an interesting question to ask. I must be honest. I don't I don't know, but I certainly they suffered during the hard lockdown because hard everything lockdown. was closed. Yeah, everything is absolutely closed. But now things are opening up, and um, the airports are kind of feeling a little bit more normal now. Uh, okay. You know, you know, there are a lot of, it's a, you know, before, I don't know if you were there, you know, during the hard lockdown, it felt like, you know, these movies where post-apocalypse had just happened and it was really this huge building. It was eerie, no one around. It was, it really looked like a, it was, it was very scary. And that's, and it's now basically back to normal. It, it, it feels good because it feels like an airport now. It does because you drop people off. Um, yeah. we, but we always used to collect people from the drop-off zone because it yes. was just less crowded because yes. that whole area at the bottom, especially at Tambo, is just a nightmare. But now they, they have a, a guard at that dividing and says, oh, you're arriving or you're collecting. Yes. So they, you, you have to kind of go it's, the they, They've improved the it. <laughs> if you talk about, you talk about Tambo, they've Aotamba. improved it because, what they've, because what, the big problem was people – Collecting people was to find the person, find. and so you'll see now that the, the the various pillars have been numbered. So each pillar has a number, so you can say I'm standing at number thirteen. Oh, okay, and so they've you can, done that. Yes, so it makes it much easier. I understand what you're do, you're saying, but it becomes very difficult for the drop off people upstairs. And so um, the airport is trying to um, you know improve slowly, and certainly in the case of Cape Town Airport, they've won. I think it's I don't know how many years now. I think it's seventh year consecutively being the best airport in Africa. 
So they're, they're really on the ball there, and they, there are plans to improve even from there. But certainly the Oer Tambo oh, Airport. But we have the Gau train. We have the Gau train, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, certainly the airport is, is, is one of us, is, is a slicker airport, and, it, and they're doing slow, slow improvements. Slow so improvements. That's great, great to hear, yeah. And is the Gau train sort of doing, it, it obviously picked up now that the, the, the pandemic yeah. is sort of at, where are we at stage one? Uh, yeah, and um, they, um, yeah, look, it's it, it's running. There was a stage when basically, you know, it was kind of skeleton uh, uh, trips, but it's now back to normal trips. And in fact, I used the heart train uh, two weeks ago, and uh, pretty much people are, are using it. They're very strict, of course, as they should be. You've got a social distance. You can't, you've got to wear a mask, you, you know, even when you're inside and so forth. And that's going to be with us for a while. But so things are starting to normalize slowly. And, um, and, yeah, let's 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 just hope that it does open up, um, and that people who, not more and, people and, lose jobs. And with with the taxi industry, um, obviously with people catching transfers from the airport or from the station to their hotel or their their bed and breakfast, how has that become normal, or is that sort of still in its struggling mode? I presume you're talking about the the meter taxis, the meter and taxis, the, and, yeah, the, and the and um, the the uh, the app app uh, based um, taxis um, the the there was a great there was great tension between the, the traditional meter taxis and the um, uh, taxis the that used apps ones, yeah. um, and the reason is because um, quite frankly the apps were way up ahead of its time you can you could book your your taxi without even having met the the taxi driver haven't seen him you could plan your route in advance and you could pay in advance so this is really wonderful stuff that uh, the but how was the how were they affected during the pandemic Bec- uh, well they were affected even before that so you know um, yeah so what what happened is people want when you're traveling that's the other trend that's changing is people want ease they want quick uh, it must be slick and quick and they don't have want to waste tourists don't want to waste time you know, schlepping around and being unsure of what, you know, they want generally to arrive and things pretty much arranged for them in advance. But Correct. the interesting thing is that the modern tourist wants to do it him or herself. Whereas before you would get a company to arrange it for you and arrange the transfer and get the, the taxi to pick you up and so forth. The interesting trend is that modern tourists want to do it themselves. And so they can do it. They can now arrange with uh, the, the app company that a certain driver in a certain car with a registration number, that's the driver's name, will meet them at a certain point somewhere. So that would be arranged in advance. Now with meter taxis, you can't do that. You've got to walk physically to the uh, taxi and they've you know you then... Sit, you go, take the, the vehicle, and only at the end of the trip would the driver tell you how much it is. So you couldn't plan your budget, for example, in advance. And so it was a very archaic way of doing, and so they fell behind. But what subsequently happened, the meter companies have now are now busy with apps themselves. And so I think in the very, I would say in the next Lots year or two, um, yeah, in the next year or two, I don't think there'll any be any meet, traditional meter taxis left. Uh, because everything will be best based on an app. Um, even the, the traditional companies that have been using that model will change because that's what people want. They want to, the, you know, safety is an issue. Uh, if you're a woman or, you're, or a man, actually, for your, you know, you're on your own traveling, you want to know in advance, you know, who the driver is, you know, how, how, how good is this driver? Do I rate him? Can I trust him? Even a photo, these apps have that, a photo of the driver with what kind of car. So you can, you can have all these things available to you, which then opens up opportunities for people to travel on their own, which is another a feature. Many, many people want to now travel on their own, whereas unheard of before. 
people want to go um, and be able to have the freedom. But it goes back to also doing the reinvent yourself. So if I'm a taxi driver, I can reinvent myself by by qualifying as a tour guide um, because there's a lot of opportunities with SA Tourism to qualify as a tour guide uh, in your city uh, and offer that service to someone you're picking up at the airport to say, look, you know, would you like a tour of the city? Can I, you know, do a tour with you? Exactly I'm a registered right. tour guide. Mm. Um, exactly so that right. enhances his service. Yes. Um, and that also can be arranged in advance, by the way. You know, these, these things can be done, done in, advance. in advance. So you'd know that this is your tour guide. And um, the tour guide would have been briefed in advance to know, I'm not interested in that kind of thing, so I'm not going to take you to... X, but I'm taking it to Y. Correct. Because that's the kind of thing I'm more interested in. So, um, again, t- t- uh, tour guides uh, and the, the programs they, they do are very different from before, where they'd kind of be kind of a standard menu and you'd have to pick the menu. Now you can design what you want. You say, I'm not interested in, um, you know, uh, sport related stuff, but I like cultural stuff. I like fauna and flora. I like to go out at night and that kind of thing. And so that. That gets designed for you individually, and it's becoming easier and easier. It used to be a big issue before because <laughs> it's so personalized, and because of technology and apps and new phones and so forth, these kind of things can be done relatively easily. Well, I think that's when travel agents and um, those those people come back into our lives mm. because although they also had to reinvent themselves from yes. the traditional way of doing travel and, and tourism, they now have had to reinvent themselves to become your personal guide yes. in terms of where you want to go and what you want to do. Quite right, um, yeah. And I like the idea of being stuck somewhere and being able to phone a person, mm. not a website. Yes. <laughs> if I'm traveling somewhere overseas, I need to phone somebody to say, listen, there's a problem with my ticket I'm standing here and there's an issue whereas you can't do that and I I learned my lesson quite quite harshly Mm. in that if you do your own bookings online and you have not connected your flights so for instance (laughs) I've done a El Cheapo from town one to town two and then I've done another El Cheapo from town two to town three and I've not connected them if my (laughs) luggage did not arrive well it's tough luck and if your flight arrives late you've lost the other one and there's nothing the other flight will do for you because at the end of the day, your flights are not connected. So I've continued to use a travel agent yes, yes. Um, because I'm comfortable that they have linked my flights. And if something goes wrong, I can phone them. Tra- travel agents <laughs> are still going to be used. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying the trends are changing. changing and certainly absolutely. you'll find with millennials, um, that is um, – so I hear you about having a person on the other side. Uh, millennials will probably say it's not important enough for, to them. They want to know that they can – you know. Go, get onto an app and make a request. So the, the 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 requirements are very different, and that's the great thing about tourism. You know, each you know each person is so different, and it can be tailored um, to your personality. Where before that was unheard of. You know, you'd have. But I to think it also allows guest house owners, bed and breakfast owners, people who yeah. own a second property at the coast and rent it out, are then able to use online apps like um, Nightbridge, mm. which actually allows you to do bookings across various online uh, booking systems. So, for instance, if I want a customer to be booked in from night one to night, from night one to say night four, all the other agencies that are attached to them can see that those nights are not available. Um, And the customer can book themselves Mm. in. And you can add all kinds of things like transfers and extra meals and specials and things like that. So it puts, again, the, the, the the, the, the onus is back on the owner to say, actually, I didn't fail. Yes. I, I'm able to to manage my own property within my own capacity, and you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist. Not at all. 
because you use your online apps and, mm. and connect the dots. And, you know, um, to extend that, what's interesting is Airbnb, which has really revolutionized it. There are many um, other companies that have done similar things, but they really revolutionized it in that they invite tourists to stay with you. That's what, they, that's what it is. It's, and the amazing thing is that you've got everything. In South Africa, we've got kind of free standard Airbnb. So you can stay at someone's home. You can stay in a room. You could stay at a cottage at the back of someone's home. That's kind of the standard stuff. Correct. But, I mean, uh, in America, you can uh, Airbnb a hammock if you want. Uh, you could stay at the back of someone's yard, literally. Um, it, 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 you have the complete variety. But the great thing about apps like that is that you rate the tourist, and the tourist, and the tourist can you. rate you. So if you're a terrible host, um, you're not going to get much business, you know, in the in the future. And then uh, one one other interesting uh, app that's a recent phenomenon is um, you can go and stay at someone's home when they are themselves on holiday. Correct. So yeah. you'll you'll have uh, and that's there's this home. I think swap it's called and, house sitting and home swap. Yes. So many of those apps. And so uh, and see, what we're talking about is how tourism has changed so much. It is no longer I'm going to book a flight. I'm going to arrive. Taxi take to take to a, to a hotel, and I'm going to do their three course you know meal and do a tour of the city. It's no longer is it like that anymore. You suddenly holidays are completely different. You could stay at people's homes. Accommodation is different. But I think for me as well, we were talking the other day about uh, mm. Airbnb and saying. If I leave home, I want to stay in a hotel. I want yes. to be spoilt. Yeah. And that's fine. <laughs> I don't that's necessarily okay. want to stay at somebody else's yes, home. Sure. So um, I also found that, for instance, with Airbnb, it, it was difficult that if something went wrong, to phone someone at Airbnb and say, listen, yes, there's a problem with this booking. Yeah, yeah. Um, we owned a property in, in Margate and we had somebody saying that on their way, they need directions. I said, but I don't have a booking for you. Mm. And they said, oh no, Airbnb have started this new, this new thing where you could go online, see if it's available, book and go within an hour. Okay. I said, well, I wasn't advised of that. Yes. And I don't, I have customers arriving tomorrow. Right. So I can't let you in today because what if you don't leave? Sure. And, and you want two nights and these people are already right. booked. Right. And eventually we, we got into this whole situation where we had to find them. And luckily all the owners in the, in the, in the area knew each other. Right. And it was a case right. of phoning around and saying, listen, guys, can you put these guys up? Someone. Right. Um, but we couldn't reach anyone in at Airbnb because they were all in Ireland or wherever they right, were, right. it was a real problem for mm, us. Mm. So I think, yes, the online thing is great, having doing your own booking, but who do you get hold of if something goes wrong? Sure, sure. I is there I, a governing body that one can phone? Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I'm not saying that these systems are all foolproof. Of course, there are problems in them. And my point is that the trends are just changing so changing, much. Changing, absolutely. And people, so I mean, you know, you're quite right. There are people who want to um, be spoiled in a hotel and, you know, and that's fine. And that's, if that's what turns you on, that's the holiday you want, then, then you'll go for that. But a lot of other people, and it's very popular by, with Germans, for example, they love to stay in, in townships, Langa, um, Kailicha, uh, Soweto, and so forth, just to experience, experience what, it's like what it's like to live yeah. with the local community and enjoy a local meal two or three days and just to be around some real people, not touristy people, if you know but what I'm is saying. But is there a trend towards... A, a governing body or an association that would um, that would govern those online problems or the the fact that somebody has, is, is stranded, and is there a, a move towards having some kind no. of structure that will allow us to make that call and say, listen, guys, I'm stranded. Mm. I did this online booking or I, I booked it through these people and there's no one here. Yes. Um, is there some sort of move towards I that? Know, I know that the, um, the, the, the companies are improving more and more because they're getting more and more competition. 
So no longer is it just Airbnb, which were the pioneers. pioneers there are now a whole lot of other people, a lot of other organizations doing exactly the same thing. Um, with, and the principle is exactly the same. So if you're not great with Airbnb, you don't like them anymore. You're going to leave with your feet and you're going to go somewhere else, which means it's in their interest to make sure that they uh, look after their customers. So if they're finding that not being contactable is an issue, they're going to um, address that. I do know that if you now that we're talking about Airbnb, they do have offices and local staff in South Africa. Um, so I think that may have been a, re, you know, a, a reaction to what you're talking about. So they do have people, you know, who, real people. I've actually met is them. There a, is there uh, a drive towards educating, um, especially the smaller property owners, the one bedroom, the hammock, um, the, the guy in the taxi, is there mm. a, a move towards educating them on how to manage the new way of thinking, the app, the online booking, the how to manage, because a lot of them are older. Yeah. The, the guy who's taken his pension and started a guest house doesn't necessarily have the skills to do social media or understand how online bookings work. So not all, not all um, accommodation uh, places, not all e- uh, B&Bs and so forth uh, will um, you know, want to even be part of the uh, app system. A lot of them will just do the old-fashioned bookings and it works for them. And if that works for you, you know, if it works for them, there and they can, you know, can continue uh, continue with their business. But I'm that just way. saying, in terms of of being able to educate, having an association that says to the the general tourism population, hey guys, there's a new way of doing business. Yes. Let's workshop this. Yes. Let's invite you to come and because now we don't have exhibitions anymore where you could actually go and learn that. Yeah. Um, where you could go and attend talks and and things like that. I do know that they are. Um, I mean, they're self-regulating. Airbnb has um a a owners or a hosts association and so they don't they don't belong to airbnb they just you know that's the great thing about these apps is that you don't work for that company you're just using their app Correct. so you're not particularly loyal to that company necessarily if they're going to mess you around you're going to react if you know what i mean so these uh, these homeowners associations that work these these apps um kind of interact and you you know make sure that um uh, there's education programs that go on but also what they do is they feed back to the host company and tell them what the problems are and so these uh in this case airbnb i can't talk about others because i haven't uh, met them um they uh, the company itself treats these associations very seriously because they're they're helping them become better um, so the way that Airbnb was originally designed has completely transformed and improved over the years, and they're improving all the time. And that's why you can relatively be quite sure and safe uh, when you know that this is a good host or a bad guest. And the great thing is that the host doesn't have to take the guest. Even if you're a five-star guest, the host can say, I don't want to take you in. But I you think know. one of the things that we certainly found was we were looking at our local tourism office mm. to say – um, you know what, we've renovated our house in a certain way. Mm, mm. Um, do you have any ideas about where we can buy stuff locally or how we can yes. renovate? Do you have – I said to them, why don't you give classes to people who own properties here from Joburg right. to say, right, guys, this is what we have in the area. These mm. are the people you contact. I said, a lot of the stuff we've done, we've done on our own. We've gone and hunted on all those boards that you get the flyers off. Okay. I said, we've done a lot of that mm, ourselves. Mm. But if you got involved yes. and said, let me teach you how to do the decor in in your, mm. in your place. Yes, you can use second-hand furniture that you brought from Joburg. Sure. But you know what? Mm. Nobody wants to sleep on your old bed and nobody <laughs> wants to sit on the on the broken couch. Mm. Mm. So using second-hand furniture is not the best idea. Right, right. Um, but if you use these guys in the area, those guys will give you a reasonable price. Mm. Mm. Surely there's a way to teach those tourism officers not to just sit there and
and say, here's a brochure. We have a long way. <laughs> Let me tell you that we have got a long way, and I'm a great critic of South African tourism. Um, although they're, as an, you know, they're a government-owned entity that um, promotes and um, you know, assists in the tourism sector, um, and they're, they're doing an okay job, but I mean, there's a lot to, to be desired. There's so much work to be done. Correct. Um, Pina Maritzburg, for example, uh, was so bad. It continues to be a very bad. No tourist goes to Pina Maritzburg. Yes. Yet it is packed with uh, beautiful historical buildings and all sorts of history that we could capitalize on and get tourists it's to be It's also near the battlefield route. Exactly. It's, 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 it's a gateway to the Midlands. And in fact, it has got to a stage, it is, I, I don't know now, I think it's a little bit better now, it got to a stage where even the Peter Marysburg Tourism Association was so embarrassed about their town that they encouraged people to go to Howick Falls and not come to Peter Marysburg. <laughs> uh, you know, because it was so embarrassing because it was, you know, the city was it's so tragic. dirty, it, it wasn't attractive and so forth. And you don't want that. You We want to showcase our best Correct. when guests arrive and these you know it's uh, you know when you have someone over for dinner you kind of clean up the house and make it look pretty and so forth and you want to show the best aspects of what you have and that's what we want to do with our tourists and so it, you don't want to be in a situation where you, there are parts of the country where you want to hide because it's so badly done so those are the kind of fights that i'm busy with busy all the fighting. time um but you know so I, I hear what you're saying and we have a long way to go and there are pockets of excellence all over certainly so you know for example franchuk which is um an easy sell but it's not so easy if you don't maintain it if you're just like uh, pilgrim's rest, pilgrim's rest. Um, so so but yet they're doing a fantastic uh, the western cape in general are doing a fantastic job and you really want to travel there but yet we have i mean you mentioned pomalanga one of the most beautiful provinces with so much greenery so many waterfalls Blind so much canyon oh, yes yes beautiful. so much to see um and we're not capitalizing on it and why isn't pomalanga uh, tourism agency not doing enough they're just not um they're not building the roads that you talk about dilapidated roads let's get get those roads fixed so that people can get to can these get tourist absolutely. sites exactly <laughs> and that is how you grow tourism so there's a, there's a there's a lot to be done and we have a long way ahead of us and in closing what do you want to leave us with um oh my goodness that's a big question i i would say that we're in this together i think we need to um in the pandemic and where we are right now, I'm going to ask people that um, come and travel South Africa. You know, there's so many people I know that have traveled all over the world. And when I ask them, and in South Africa, where have you traveled? They maybe have been one or two places in the entire country, but yet they can tell you about the list of countries they've been, they've been to. And I'm saying that's very sad. Come and, you know, do, do a little challenge to yourself and decide that you'll visit every province over the next few years and that you'll, you know, get to really appreciate what each province has to offer for example so my encouragement is um that you know let come and travel come and tour south africa and see the variety we have not just of the sceneries and experiences but the people uh the the, the, the kind of people we have and the way they live and the, the kind of uh, variety of different people that we have all amazing all south african but yet so different Thank you so much. And thank you for thank joining you. me. Um, this has been uh, an interesting hour of uh, travel and tourism in South Africa. Uh, Manny De Freitas, Shadow Minister of Tourism for South Africa. And this is Janine Preston from Anytime, Anywhere.